Hi folks, Heather here, recording in a different space than normal um, and with the dog out and about. So, you know, if you hear background noise, that's it. And obviously we have some brief splaining to do. So I wanted to jump in here and say hello and thank you to everybody who has reached out to ask if we are okay. As much as anybody can say yes these days, yeah, we're good. And um, I want to apologize for how long it has been since you've heard from us at The Quibbler. The reality is, as you all, you know, have seen, among other things, we are in the middle of what some economists, I guess, are calling the Great Resignation, which is goofy. But basically what happened here is um, I took a new job in February that ate my entire life. So the episode you're about to hear was recorded I think like the weekend before my first day of that job and subsequently I stopped being able to do almost anything except work. We also have the puppy George who has made brief appearances on a couple of episodes but he is a terrier and growing up fast and he's a noisy little guy. So between a couple of things Alex's job was also intense but um, we just sort of dropped out of the swing of things with this podcast for too long, frankly. And I have since left the job that swallowed my life. I am doing something new that I'm really excited about. Not that that's particularly important to you all, but um, George is a little bit older. So, you know, between those few things, we think we're going to be able to get back to this. Probably with a little less consistency than we did before, you know, everything was extremely intense. But we're back for now. There are references to things happening in February 2021, obviously, on this episode. I think Delta has sort of made it re-relevant, which is extremely depressing. But this was pre-vaccines. It was pre-a lot of things. So I hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back, I hope. And thanks again for the well wishes. We appreciate you all. We missed you. We're excited to get started again. We're super near the end of this last book so enjoy a wizard walks into a bar and the bartender says hey why the long bottom you're listening to the quibbler podcast the harry potter book club for regulars neville what the how but neville had spotted ron and hermione and with yells of delight was hugging them too the longer harry looked at neville the worse he appeared One of his eyes was swollen yellow and purple. There were gouge marks on his face, and his general air of unkemptness suggested that he had been living rough. Nevertheless, his battered visage shone with happiness as he let go of Hermione and said again, I knew you'd come. Kept telling Seamus it was a matter of time. I'm Heather Price, right? I'm Alex Dallenberg. That intro, that was terrible. That didn't really work on a jo- as a joke. That didn't I loved really it. Work as a joke on any level, but it worked as a joke on it my level. Was my shower thought? <laughs> you did kind of bound out of the shower this morning. Like I have so many ideas for this episode, and one of them was why the long bottom. <laughs> so that might set us up for what you're about to listen to, but genuinely, I'm not sure because we don't practice these things on each other first. So we're fresh. This is episode 99. Technically, we're like in the low hundreds with like other specials and things, but canonically. Yeah. In terms of chapter by chapter, we're almost at 100. It seems like we should be at way more than 100. But as you all know, these are sporadic, irregular, and 
not that reliable. So I guess, sorry about that, but you know. One listener compared it to Potter Watch. Yeah, which, that was super cute. Yeah. I uh, and cheered like, up. A nice drag, but like also generous at the same time. Yeah. So I love perfect, I love a kind a drag. kind drag. It's my favorite kind of. I mean, it's it's like the opposite of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> and backhanded compliments suck. Okay, so episode ninety nine, we are reading the chapter in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows called "The Lost Diadem." You will hear spoilers and cursing. We are almost at the end. We're going to spoil the fact that Dumbledore's army still exists in a pretty fun fashion. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are class reunions, coin collecting, war wives, headgear, and the very classic Harry Potter special, torturing kids. You might also hear very small squeaky puppy borks if you do. Once again, congratulations and good for you. What a lucky day. He's More actually sleeping like an angel. But shrill now than squeaky and some depending. I don't know. He's getting some vol. He's getting, he's adding the volume in. I know his little lungs are yeah. <laughs> expanding. <laughs> but sometimes when he yawns, he makes genuinely the nicest sound I've ever heard in my whole life. And my heart shatters into a thousand pieces. And I didn't know I actually had this much emotion inside of me, which is saying something because I have a lot of feelings. And um, obviously, whatever, dogs are good. This is not a hot take, but our dog, particularly good. So if you hear him, you're lucky. Anyway, Alex, my love, what happened in this chapter? In this chapter, the trio are to sit. <laughs> I just, wait, first, I want to tell you all something behind the scenes. Alex throws both arms in the air in an incredibly dramatic gesture every time he says in this week's chapter. It's delightful. When I'm self-conscious. No, but you really, you do these summaries like really talking with your hands. Sometimes I have to grab your wrist so you don't hit the microphone. I feel like I'd be a terrible YouTuber though. Yeah, you couldn't do the hi guys with like your hands in your lap. You super <laughs> i all we sometime we should film this because you gesticulate like a motherfucker we it's did very like good. a facebook live you i now it's years, years ago. ago incredibly we've been doing this for years like more like four years now uh more than four years amazing we did a facebook live i think in the Buckbeak chapter like the time travel chapter so that exists somewhere on the internet um anyway sorry i didn't mean to make you self-conscious but i just wanted listeners to know that i love watching alex do the summaries because he throws his arms wildly above his head the entire time now i'm can i do it without doing that no don't try it's a part of your process <laughs> you're a method actor and your method is throwing your arms around like a windmill i tried to go in and i like i felt the muscles kind of no naturally, you do it's like what's that the muscles naturally went up what's that, that magic trick where like you it's not a magic trick it's just like physiology reflexes but like you hold your arms really 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 hard against a door sill and then you step away from the door sill and your arms like float up have you ever done that that's how we learned about like muscles when i was in like fourth grade that's how muggles do magic <laughs> yeah magic trick is a stretch <laughs> anyway please don't try to do this without gesticulating it's the best and i wish our listeners could see it except they would also see our laundry and unmade bed and the various ways in which i do a weird thing with my tongue sometimes while i'm like waiting i yeah <sighs> okay stretching Alex, this out 
Sorry. Um, all right, let's let's do this. What happened this week? In I tried, I tried, but I'm gonna. That's what's that's what it sounds like if I don't. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't wave my arms around. So in this week's chapters, <laughs> the trio are, are bewildered to see Neville Longbottom walking out of the painting slash porthole passageway. Yeah, they're just like, how? What? Neville? Huh? Dude? Um, a lot of... Very apt. That's exactly what Ron's yeah, brain is a doing. Lot of, just a lot of explaining. Neville's on a first-name basis with Aberforth, who he calls Ab, and he tells Aberforth, or Ab, I guess. Ab. <laughs> At least call him Abe. But that's not what the name sounds like. It's not Aberforth. I know, but lots yeah. of times... There's, I mean, Jack doesn't sound like John. It's better than Forth. Hey, Forth. I think he should go by Abe. Honest it- Aberforth. <laughs> Aberforth him Lincoln. Nope. He tells he tells Aberforth that more people are coming and they're going to be apparating directly into the bar. Just send them down the passage. Neville has assumed an aura of command. Also, he looks really fucked up. He's got, like, scars and gashes, and he just, like, he looks like he's been through the fucking wars. Like, he opens the portal, and he's like, welcome to hell. <laughs> it's very, like, Mad Max. Yeah, he's gone, Neville's gone, like, full Mad Max, and more on that shortly. Harry said, Harry tells Aberforth, thank you for saving our lives twice. I don't know how to thank you. And Aberforth just says, look after him then. I might not be able to save you a third time. Fuck yeah, Aberforth. Really doesn't want Harry Potter to die, which That's is nice. Sweet. That puts him in the minority of people of in these books. Adults in these books. <laughs> yeah. Ron wants to know how the secret passage came into being because it's not one of the seven known passages into the school on the Marauder's Map. We learn that they've been sealed off and guarded by curses and Death Eaters and Dementors. It's a bad scene. Neville wants to know if the trio really broke into Hogwarts, into Gringotts, and escaped via dragon. The news is everywhere, presumably through word of mouth, because I think it's probably on Potter Watch. Yeah, the press, yeah, the mainstream press is being censored. Things have been not great at Hogwarts, we learn from Neville. Uh, two Death Eaters, Amicus and his sister, Electo Caro, are in charge of all discipline now. Amicus also teaches defense against the dark arts, which is now just the dark arts. So that's so hilariously on the nose. <laughs> just like, yeah, no, we just learn how to be evil now. It's like, okay, guys, usually an authoritarian regime of this type at least kind of masks its intentions. Offense using the dark arts. Um, <laughs> Offense with the dark arts. So the students like practice the Cruciatus curse on each other, and basically Hogwarts is just running like the Stanford prison experiment 24 <laughs> 7. But it's not an experiment. No, it's real as hell. No, the Stanford prison thing we do every day. <laughs> it's a prison. And Electo teaches muggle studies, which has gotten a big promotion in the curriculum. It's now mandatory for everyone, but it's basically just anti-muggle propaganda about how muggles are dirty and they drove the wizards into hiding. And I know that she's gesturing at the ways in which we teach that various groups are 
vermin and unsanitary as ways of sort of justifying what they want to do, which is genocide, presumably. But dirty specifically is really weird considering how disgusting we know wizards are. Like, they used to shit their pants. Muggles, like, bathe, I think, a lot more regularly <laughs> than wizards. Like, muggles are pretty clean as a group. Yeah, it's... We never we never discussed Robegate on this podcast where J.K. Rowling came. I think it was on whatever the fuck Pottermore is called now. Wizarding World, trademark, trademark, restricted. Warner Brothers yeah. plus J.K. Rowling collab. She wrote this small... Sh- I mean, every, pe- most people who are listening to this podcast almost certainly remember this, but she wrote some entry about how before wizards adopted indoor plumbing, they would just shit their pants like on the spot whenever they had to go and use magic to like wizard it away. And that that's so weird on so many levels because I don't even know if that feels like consistent with the world building. Why, why have wizards refused to adopt so many other modern conveniences? And then they're just like, you know, indoor plumbing. This seems like the yeah, way to go. We're done shitting like, ourselves. Installing pipes into Hogwarts sounds like, I mean, does the Ministry of Magic have the funding to like do an infrastructure build like that? Like, <laughs> well, the other thing is, I can't believe we're doing rope gate, but okay, so shitting their underpants <laughs> is insane. They, I mean, it's that's an absurd sort of that's an absurd suggestion. But if we know that they can easily just disappear their waste, like use chamber pots, you're wasting water. If this is an environmental like catastrophe, if you are capable of disposing of human waste without using and polluting water, fucking do it, my God. Also, doesn't it have to go somewhere? I don't know, I don't, see this is where the laws just completely break down. But the other thing to me is like, okay, so if wizards poop their pants and then disappear it, wizards still always must smell like shit. Well they clean it up, you can like kind of. Yeah, but like after you like, Shit smell lingers. Also, what if you're sort of shitty at magic? Ha ha. But seriously. Or like, what if you like, have... You know, you know, the 16th century Neville Longbottom is like... It's like always has just like a little like, bit of poo in his pants. Because <laughs> he's like really bad at magicking away the shit. And I mean, I guess everyone, like, you know, people just, at least in Western Europe, smelled pretty bad and we're dirty a lot of the time in so, medieval times. So, which brings times. us back to the present of this chapter. How do we get onto this? We are talking about how the fact that they teach that muggles are dirty is pretty rich, considering <laughs> also, like, I'm sorry, but like, Aberforth and Albus's beards are foul. Like, those guys aren't washing their beards. <laughs> they don't have fucking like, Target brand like, man-man beard wash. Goodfellow, whatever, which yeah. Which we have like, four different versions of in our shower because you have a marvelous and clean beard thank you most of the time um and when it's not george licks it and reminds you (laughs) i gotta say we're gonna come back to the plumbing issue momentarily because i have more plumbing quibbles okay go Uh, on good to be quibbling again yeah good to be doing anything again (laughs) go on so like we were saying neville is gone full-on Mad Max, he's a rebel with a cause. He's got a scar for refusing to torture his fellow students, and he's got another one for smart alecking Electo, asking how much muggle blood she has. The trio base, I forget who says it, but somebody's like, oh, like, now you're getting a smart mouth, Neville? Like, what a time. And Neville says, the thing is, it helps, it gives people hope, 
when people stand up to them. I learned that from you, Harry. I cried at that line. Tears, yes. I thought that was so sweet. Ron says, yeah, but they're using you as a human knife sharpener, which, way to talk metaphorically, Ron. I mean, Ron is like adding some, like, okay, he's more expressive than he's ever been. He's like able to use words to create. Fine, I'm feeling expansive. Let's give Ron some credit. <laughs> Fine. Neville says it doesn't matter that much because they don't want to spill too much pure blood, so he's protected by his status. They'll torture us a bit for being mouthy, but not much else. So yeah, just a little light torture. I love Neville. <laughs> he's like, by the way, have you seen my wallet? It's the one that says bad motherfucker on it. What is that? It's from, from Pulp Fiction. I I knew that. I was like, as soon as I said, what is that from? I was like, oh, it's from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but leave that in because. He found that in the room of requirement. He like opened the door and there's like the bad motherfucker wallet. And he's like, this is my calling. People love my inability to catch on to 80s and 90s culture references. And they so. love that I haven't seen a movie since 2005. <laughs> Yeah, except all of the fucking Avengers movies. Recently, I told a good friend of mine that I fell asleep during Age of Ultron, and they were just like, what the ever-living fuck is wrong with you? Among other things, it's a very loud movie, but God, it was boring. Is there a red guy in that one? Is that the one with the, <laughs> is that the, one with the red guy? Vision? I don't know. I He's a bad Vision red guy. I think Vision is like guy. red and green and maybe yellow too. No, no, no. Too. That guy's good. Who's the bad red guy? Is that Ultron? Who's Ultron? Ultron is James Spader. And he's red, right? No, he's a robot. He's not red. Who's red? The Red Skull is red. Is that an Avenger thing? You know the Red Skull. He I don't know. The was the Red Skull. We actually did go see Captain America. Okay, who's the red guy that's scary? I did. People are red in these movies. There's I don't... red scary guy. Maybe it's the skull... No, because Thanos is like purple. He no, looks no, like no, an no, no. I know who Thanos is. Thanos is Josh Brolin. You're thinking of the Red Skull, maybe? But that's not an Age of Ultron, is it? No. Maybe but James someone is Spader red. Spader is in James it? Spader is but Ultron. But that robot's not red? I don't. Maybe he is. I don't remember. I remember James Spader because I remember him being the guy from The Office and also <laughs> Secretary, which I weirdly <laughs> saw. Okay, well, anyway, clearly zero recall. You were really mad when you found out that WandaVision was about, was an MCU oh property. Oh my god, I thought it was gonna be, for some reason, it sounded like Wayne's World to me. I thought it was gonna, I thought it was like a stoner comedy for some reason. I don't know, I hadn't, I just had this weird idea that it was a comedy. I think it is sort of comic, has comic elements. Okay, but, but I hate when they're like, oh, like we're gonna do a new genre, but like psych, it's superheroes. And I'm like, fuck you. I just wanted this to be a normal show. <laughs> I was mad. And then we watched the first 10 minutes and I was like, I can't watch this. Look, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're a fully not my deal. The future of humanity is just it's fucking, just the monoculture it's, Avengers. It's Captain America's boot stamping on a human face forever, basically. I don't... Anyway, okay, so I don't know who the red guy is, but I just remember he was bad and I was bored. <laughs> I was super bored, but he was mean. Well, back to the Wizarding World, TMTM, Restricted Restricted, uh, another of our great franchises. We're... Were we? Oh, yes. How do we ta start talking about the MCU? I don't fucking know. Who knows? This is just how we do this now. Our lives are scattered and chaotic, and so is our podcast. <laughs> but hopefully also still funny a little bit. Oh, Neville's talking about his kind of, like, his his revolutionary, like, theory tactics. 
We were talking about Thanos? No. Whatever. Yeah. Go on. Neville says the real danger that people face is when they have vulnerable relatives on the outside, like Luna, whose dad was, you know, printing shit in the Quibbler. So, you know, she got snatched. But to his delight, he learns that Luna's okay. We also learn that Neville's been using the old enchanted coins that Hermione made for Dumbledore's army to communicate with other members of the Resistance. Can we just name how fucking good at magic Hermione is? We've named it so many times I by know, this point. Probably at least these, 99 times. But the fact that these lasted, episode. these still work. Yeah. This is cool. That's amazing. She was like 12. No, mm, she was 15. like 15. She was 15. Okay, I couldn't do shit when I was 15. <laughs> what I could do when I was 15 was actually cry for five straight hours. <laughs> That's what I was good at when I was 15 years old. I could come home at 5 p.m. and then cry until 10. So Neville has been... Neville and the rest of Dumbledore's army has been doing stuff like graffitiing the halls with slogans like Dumbledore's army still recruiting, which I guess Snape, who... Reminder, he's the headmaster now. He really hates. But they stopped after Luna got nabbed and Ginny was pulled out of school to do remote learning or whatever. Zoom uh, school. Yeah, Zoom school. Wizards could never do Zoom school. It'd be like owl school. <laughs> be Cor- just, correspond- just correspondence courses. Also, Michael Corner got tortured for rescuing a first year who was chained up. So... I forget. Was think, he Ginny's boyfriend yeah, at some point? Yeah, he was Ginny's boyfriend for a minute. Okay, way to go, and Michael. And now, I guess it's the Death... Yeah, I guess and then, somebody puts Michael in the corner and it's the Death Eaters. We also and it's have, the corner where he's being tortured. We also have the one canonical Jew. Oh, Anthony in, Goldstein. Didn't... I mean, was it... That was one of those things Somebody where, on Twitter was like, are there any Jews at Hogwarts? And J.K. Rowling was like, I'm sorry, did you not read the name Goldstein? <laughs> and it was like, girl... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god at least she wasn't like a grip hook well but that's the i mean whatever anyway anthony goldstein is there hell yeah so the death eaters they did try to get at neville by going after his grandma but she like fucking wrecked the death eaters shit and then went on the run so she put dollish in the hospital i feel like dollish is always ending up oh let's be british here in hospital dollish is in hospital uh, I feel like Dalish is always ending up in hospital for, like, fucking up various Death Eater errands. Dalish is very deeply a dumbass. Like, didn't Kingsley ruin Dalish? Yeah, he wrecked his shit. So, anyway, Dalish once again got owned, this time by Neville's grandma. Also, nice resolution to the Neville and his grandma relationship story arc. She got a net message to Neville saying that she's proud of him and that he's his parent's son. So, more tears. It's a little fucked up. Sorry, just to turn that on its head. <laughs> that Gran isn't proud of her grandson until he is literally getting tortured. And like leading a revolution. She's not proud of him that he's just like a generally nice guy and a yeah, good friend and like, kind and pretty good at herbology. Yeah, like, no. No, you need to lead a literal revolution. Which, I mean, if that's your bar, that's your bar. <laughs> God bless Gran. However, that's when Gran went on the lamb. 
That's when Neville decided it was time for him to go to ground because he figured they'd either kill him or send him out, send him to Azkaban because the Death Eaters no longer had any leverage over him. So anyway, this whole time we've been walking through the super long passageway and eventually the quartet emerge into the bup bup bu motherfucking room, room of, requirements, of requirements, which now looks like a quote sumptuous treehouse or ship's cabin. Uh... Those are two really they, different things. I was gonna things, say those aren't now the that same. I think about not it. similar. I mean, I guess they're both made of wood. Beyond that, zero similarities. Yeah, like, <laughs> like under the water versus in the air, among other things. So there's there's hammocks everywhere, and there's, it's some like Swiss Family Robinson shit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the room of requirement sounds fucking awesome right now. There's like there's hammocks everywhere with the and the banners of the Hogwarts houses. Everything is like nicely themed, except they note Harry notices that Slytherin is missing. So womp womp, those guys suck. Uh, we learn that the room of requirement. Oh, also we learn that the room of requirement has to be like super specifically programmed, which I guess we sort of knew before, but now we get more deets. So Neville had to basically specify to the room, and he's gotten really good at, like, using the room requirement. He had to say, okay, I want only Dumbledore's army supporters to come in, not supporters of Electo, Caro, uh, etc. Also, one day when Neville was just hiding out in there, he was wishing he had some food, he was feeling really hungry, and the one thing the room can't do, or one of the things the room can't do, is make food. Because as Ron points out, that's one of Glamp's fucking elemental laws of transfiguration, and everybody's impressed with Ron for doing like the bare minimum but is it glamp I, oh, like glamping i feel like this was <laughs> I, is it gamp or glamp i don't remember it must be gamp it can't be glamp's law it's pretty funny glamping's law anyway glamping's go on. law i mean really what they're doing right now is, is glamping. glamping they're glamping in the room of requirement well glamp or glamp you just said this... the same word twice <laughs> Has this been a bit? Have we done a Gamps Law bit before? It feels repetitive, but that might also be because we've been doing this for four yeah, years. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you open up Harry Potter and it's like, mm, what more do I want to say about this what after a hundred episodes? What joke haven't we made? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely constantly pitching adult themes that we've used before. It's true. So anyway, uh, when Neville was wanting food and the room can't make food because it's not the like fucking like... This gizmo on Star Trek that can... Oh, god damn it. What is that thing called? Are you about to talk about Porgs, but Star Trek? No, Porgs are in Star Wars. No, I know, but remember tribbles. how there's Tribbles. Porgs are... Tri no, tribbles I know what, are first. I know, but remember someone commented on Twitter about how you've had to explain what Tribbles are to me three different times on this <laughs> podcast. And now I know, but only because they're like Porgs. Go on. Holy shit. I hope this is fun for y'all. I mean, whatever. What else are we doing? Just yeah, listening just to, to nonsense in our ears. <laughs> it's the one thing podcasts can do for us these days. It's just take us... To nonsense town. Very far away. Yeah. Um, well, now I'm just trying to remember what the device is. And there's like a thing in Star Trek that just like makes food. Okay, can we... No, we can. you can look it up. No, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. The salient point is that the room of requirement cannot produce food so that's when the passage opened a whole brand new passage showing how amazing the room of requirement is to the hog's head where i guess neville just fucking popped out of the wall and was like i'd like to place an order uh, uh dumbledore dash <laughs> <laughs> as it were <laughs> 
wish I hadn't laughed so hard at that, but I really did like it. Also, after girls started showing up to the room of requirement, because it's become this, like, hideout, like, refugee camp, sort of, uh, a bathroom showed up, because girls like to wash up, so yay, gender essentialism, but also, boys tend to be disgusting. I like that Neville was like, man, I could really use a bathroom, like, what was he doing? Well, I mean, was he doing the wizard shitting himself thing and cleaning us it up? Back to also, I like boys just like pee in corners, like <laughs> spending time. One of the things that's very interesting about pandemic times, this is like showing our hand a little bit, is like obviously you can only really hang out with people outdoors, which means that we just go to the park. I mean, now it's fucking ten degrees out, but when it was not, we would just go to the park like all day and people would kind of come and go. And boys just pee at the park. Surreptitiously. I know. Not that surreptitiously, though. Medium surreptitiously. And not just the boys I know, but you walk around and you're like, that dude's peeing, that dude's peeing. And I'm just like, dudes are just peeing. And girls are, but we hide at least. So this also reminded me of the time when Dumbledore had to go. He's not old school enough to like shit himself and magic it away. Do you? And the room of Do you magic away your pee as it comes out? Or I don't. Do you I magic don't. Magic the puddle. I don't know. Also, it'd be like so obvious what you were doing because you'd be like pointing a wand like at your bowels. So you're just out on the street and you're like, well, I guess that guy's like pooing, taking a number two. And it's like fine when babies are doing it, but I don't want to know <laughs> when adults are pooping in their pants. This is a nightmare. So just so Dumbledore was walking through the halls of Hogwarts. We know that the room of requirements can create actual an actual bathroom that's like connected to the Hogwarts plumbing. But instead, Dumbledore wasn't thinking, man, I could really use a bathroom right now. He was thinking, I really want a can to shit in. Yeah, it like just it was gave him chamber, chamber pots. pots. And he's like, all right, this seems cool. May as well, like, is that just what Dumbledore does all the time? Like, does his office not have a bathroom? It's an old office. I think Dumbledore's pretty old. Presumably, maybe he grew up in the days of chamber pots no, and that's just, just what he's think used to. Dumbledore loves nothing so much as a totally needless anachronism. <laughs> he's just like, what if I did this but whimsical? I mean, it is a funnier story than if he was like, man, I had to go and, and then there was, there was just like a, a urinal. urinal. Yeah, that's like way less on brand for Dumbledore. Exactly. Well, Anyway. Anachronistic whimsy at all times. We know that Dumbledore likes chamber pots. He also wears like buckled shoes and shit. (laughs) No laces for this guy. We can't come back to shoes. That's a, that's an old, that's a classic Quibbler reference. Somebody emailed us really recently to say, I hate to break it to you, but yes, Dumbledore. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but yes, Voldemort is barefoot. (laughs) So I guess there's our answer. Well, that must have hurt his feet so bad when he was running across all the broken glass in uh, Bathilda Bagshot's house. Oh, yeah. Maybe he, like, skateboarded on the snake. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Is this chapter ever going to end? We're, like, not very far. So at some point, because the plot requires it, Harry is sucked back into Lord Voldemort's mind... The room of requirement like blinks out and he's standing in the ruins of the stone shack and he's looking at the ripped open floorboards and there's a golden box that's open and Voldemort's like screaming, oh, I hid this under the floor. I did the worst. 
Why didn't I hide no this spells. better? Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? My beware of dog sign didn't work. <laughs> ah, fuck me. <laughs> Speaking of beware of dog, we gotta move it along because this buddy has to get up and pee soon. He's sleeping. He's put him to oh, sleep. He slept. Luckily, Harry. I, so this whole interlude, it doesn't take very long. Basically, just Voldemort is like looking at the plastic dog shit that he hid the fucking Horcrux in, and it's gone. <laughs> it's like a fucking hide a key. Yeah, I which get is it. a joke I've made before, but I still find it hilarious. So recycle everything, even jokes. A whale is in trouble. Harry comes to everybody in the room requirement. Oh, like all your faves are here, by the way. Like Seamus Finnegan. Lavender Brown, some other characters, and then like more show up later. Bunch so, of Hufflepuffs, yeah. Ernie, yeah, etc. Seamus asks, "What? What are we gonna do, Harry? What's the plan?" Plan? Repeated Harry. Yeah, Harry's like, "Do you know who you're fucking talking to, bro?" He's like, "This is amateur hour." Yeah, I'm Harry fucking Potter. I don't do plans. Yeah. Air quotes. No, Harry just says, I can't tell you what I'm here to do. Uh, I'm only going to be here for, like, a little bit. I'm not here to stay in Hammock Town. Uh, the, this, this, is, this does not go over well. Everybody in the DA is like, no, we want to help. Harry says, Dumbledore left us a job to do. Neville says, we are his army, though. We're all in this together, and we've been keeping it going while you've been out doing, like, fuck all. Wait, have you already introduced everybody who comes, or is that later? Uh, some are already there, some are coming in a little bit. Okay, so Ginny's there. No, she's not there yet. Oh, who's there? Luna and Jean, did they show up? No. Oh, yet. I don't know what order things happen in. That's why Alex <laughs> does the summaries. I don't know either. I just write it down. Anyway, Neville essentially said, everyone here has proven their loyalty to Dumbledore and you. At that moment, Luna and Dean come in. They're oh, followed by Ginny, who looks, who I weirdly wrote down as Gina in my notes <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I think that's an autocorrect. Uh, Gina Weasley, <laughs> Gina who Harry thinks looks more beautiful than ever. Well, that's nice. And they're followed by Fred, George, and Lee Jordan, the crew of Potter Watch, there to do some on-the-ground Potter casting. And also Cho Chang. That's nice. Who looks more beautiful than ever. Harry thinks to it. No, he doesn't think that. Um, Ron tells Harry that he thinks they should let Dumbledore's, they should let the DA help. Harry thinks about how Dumbledore told him not to tell anyone about the Horcruxes. But then he thinks about what Aberforth told him. Secrets and lies. That's how we grew up. And Albus, he was a natural. So Harry wonders if he's turning into Dumbledore, always like keeping secrets clutched to his chest. But then he's, again, he's like, but Dumbledore trusted Snape. Snape fucking killed him. So, yeah. Harry kind of compromises and says, he doesn't tell them about the Horcruxes. He's like, look, we're looking for something that will help us overthrow Voldemort. Uh, I have no fucking clue what it is. I mean, he... <laughs> the strategy here is amazing. He basically just pulls all the Ravenclaws and is like, so, did Ravenclaw, like, own anything cool? <laughs> Luckily, they all know. <laughs> so Luna says, well, there's always the lost diadem. Here's the problem with the lost diadem, though. It's lost. Yeah, it's lost. It's been gone for centuries. 
Ron at some point asks what a diadem is. Which, like, I mean, we all have that question. Yeah. I learned what a diadem was from Probably this from this book. book. Yeah, well, okay, so we've all learned something. It's a crown. Or, like, not a crown, it's but like, like a, a tiara. Yeah. But the Lost Diadem is a cooler chapter name than the Lost Tiara. Cho says that there's a reproduction of it in Ravenclaw Tower. It's part of the statue of Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw's in a tower, right? Yeah, it's high up. It's not called something else, because there's like Gryffindor Tower. There's like the slip. It's just another tower. Uh, I should have written that down. Cho says, I could take you to see it, Harry. Uh, and Ginny's, Ginny's like, like, fuck you. Fuck no, bitch. Uh, and she suggests that Luna take him up. So Harry and Luna get under the invisibility cloak. They go up to the tower. Turns out you have to answer a riddle to get inside Ravenclaw Tower. Uh, so the riddle is, which came first, the phoenix or the flame? Uh, Harry's totally stumped because he's like, hey, look, I don't do schoolwork. <laughs> I'm really the muscle here. Yeah, he's like, uh, if I had to catch a tiny golden ball to get inside, I'd be fine. But this is like outside my skill set. Such a jock. <laughs> Luna says that the answer is a circle has no ending. And the door says, well reasoned and they can go in. So I guess if you don't know the riddle, then you just have to wait for someone. The answer, If you don't know the answer to the prompt, you just have to wait for someone else who does. So Gryffindors would just never go to bed. Well, what it sounds to me like, which I like, is that it's not like there's one right answer. You have to, like, explicate your answer. Mm. So there's probably lots of options, but you have to convince them that you have used some, like, intellectual rigor to get where you got. All right. That, yeah, because they say well-reasoned. That I makes sense. I admire that. All right. Okay. If there's no... Because I was thinking, man, I'd never get into... I'd never get home because I'm terrible at riddles. That's true. But... So they go check out the statue. It's like a delicate looking circlet. It kind of looks like the one Fleur wore at her wedding. Luna says that it gives you special powers. It enhances the bearer's wisdom. Also, there's an inscription on it. It says, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. Then Harry hears a voice behind him saying, which makes you pretty skin witless, said a cackling voice. And Harry turns around it's Electo Caro, and before Harry can do anything about it, she's pressing her forefinger to the skull and snake branded on her forearm. So, oh shit, that's what happens in this week's chapter. Maybe our longest summary ever? Nope. Oh god. Not even. I mean, Unfortunately, the Twilight ones are like an hour close. and 20 minutes. Not even close. Anyway. We did a valiant effort to stretch this one out, though. All right, so once again... <laughs> So, again, J.K. Rowling taking her callback game, which is already strong, to another level. It's very much an all-your-faves-are-here moment. We've got Dumbledore's army, the coins, the room of requirements. I feel like every every other book in the series gets its moment to shine within Deathly Hallows, which is sort of, I don't know, it's like a nesting doll for the rest of the books in... A way that I think is pretty satisfying. I really like book five, so I liked seeing how crucial it is to setting up this final confrontation with Voldemort, but um, I know you have a slightly different opinion. 
I don't actually have a different opinion. I'm, I actually am just sort of, I have a sort of curiosity about whether these callbacks are fun and thoughtful or whether she's sort of over-reliant on previous plot points to kind of stitch together the fabric of this last and I mean kind of sprawling and sloppy installment (laughs) right I don't think I don't actually think it's that sprawling or sloppy I think she's kind of tying up she's putting a bow on all these right strands she's created maybe I'm saying the wrong word it's not sloppy but most writers don't need to tie up every thread in order for you to feel like you've reached a satisfying conclusion. J.K. Rowling, as we know, I think she's very interesting because in some ways she's the most obsessive Harry Potter fan of all. <laughs> like, she feels, for better and worse, immense sort of soul, personal ownership I mean, okay, like, let's be fair to her. She wrote the fucking thing. Right. So she, it, it is of and solely of her mind. Like, the not the fandom, but, you know, the books themselves, she made whole cloth. But her kind of obsession in this last book with sort of hunting down every dead-ended plot point and kind of giving it a satisfying ending, it's just... It's not good or bad. It's just unique to me. Not a lot of authors feel that much. I mean, we talked about it in the last episode. Every hallway in, like, there's no, there's no physical or metaphorical hallway in Harry Potter that doesn't lead somewhere. And interestingly, we're in a hallway chapter here. Yeah. You know? We're in a sort of follow this thread and see where it takes you chapter. And a thing that's interesting about J.K. Rowling as a writer is she follows all her own threads. And just very few writers do that. Usually there's some shit left dangling. I guess the question for me is, is this a callback or was book five a set up? I mean, I think it's sort of both. Right. I think it. all your faves are here is, is satisfying sort of fan art in a way. You mm. know, and, and the thing that's hard about a book like Harry Potter is that eventually... Something this popular, this late in the game, becomes at least partly fan art. Self-referential. Yeah. And that way I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like kind of a useful comparison. But because they make Marvel movies for people who are obsessed with Marvel movies. Hmm. You know? You like add installments to something like the MCU or to Harry Potter to be, to be clear, I actually think J.K. Rowling has a lot of authorial integrity here. Like, I don't think that this is just fan service. I really don't. I think if this book was fan service, it would be, like, deeply less weird. <laughs> this is not a fan service book, but it's, like, fan service to J.K. Rowling, who is kind of the number one fan of Harry Potter. Yeah. So it's, like, she is, like, sort of wrapping up all her own, like, pet moments in a way that I'm, I'm honestly not saying it's bad. It's just fascinating. So, you know, one of the things that you talked about as we were kind of planning the episode that I really agree with, and we've, we, we've sort of said this a bunch of times, the thing that is hardest to enjoy about this book, even as it's pretty enjoyable, is the whole idea of leaving Hogwarts. And Hogwarts is so fundamental as a, a sh- sort of shaping mechanism to these books that being away from Hogwarts kind of robs the final book of some of its form it makes it a little formless some of the magic some of the magic but i also think some of the structure like it 
we're she's very reliant understandably and I don't think in a bad way on on Hogwarts to give these books their their sort of formal yeah like, because they go by their, the beats their, their beats of the school year so we're back at Hogwarts which is really delightful like it's kind of a it's relaxing even yeah. if these chapters are about to be very unrelaxing I think oh look he's squeaking yeah he's squeaking so the the borks might the borking might intensify um the first time I read this book I didn't like the absence of Hogwarts and kind of being unmoored from the school year the second this read through I think that serves a purpose of making the reader feel as unmoored as Harry and company and to just kind of illustrate the stakes and to kind of make everyone feel like yeah psychically adrift uh and like anything could happen it has a fun like form follows function structure to it so but also i mean it's great to be back at hogwarts because hogwarts is very much a character in these books um hi monkey we might have to get him up and finish in a little bit but let's let's try for now yeah uh hogwarts is very much a character in these books and hold that thought because we're gonna have to take. Wait, bring him over here and see if he can make his little squeaks into the. A mic. short puppy break. Won't be a break for you, but it will be for us. Stand by. See if he'll make his little noises into the mic. Hi, baby. Georgie, come here. Okay. George has some peanut butter. So, so... he's placated with a Kong for a while. So yeah, um, Hogwarts. Uh, yeah, beyond having a beyond. These books having a real, incredibly strong sense of place. I mean, to the point where people, like, really, if you dropped anybody in Hogwarts, like, people could get around it. If, like, there was some way you could do it. I guess you could go to the theme park or whatever. But that's not the real thing. You know what I mean. People have, like, spent time here. They know their way around. Beyond beyond that incredibly well-crafted sense of place, Hogwarts also has a personality and intelligence. It's... Like, I don't know, it's it's not dissimilar from, like, Dumbledore in a way, where, like, there's, like, kind of, like, intimidating aspects of it. There's whimsical things that Hogwarts does. But, do- like, Hogwarts, like, literally, I don't know, it's like, it's like a less fucked up version of, like, the hotel from, like, The Shining or something like that. Like, it's got, like, well, the I room have- of requirement has, like, intelligence. It like, has it opens- not only intelligence, but, it like, it has vibes. Right. He did not recognize the room at all. It was enormous and looked rather like the interior of a particularly sumptuous treehouse or perhaps a gigantic ship's cabin. Multicolored hammocks were strung from the ceiling and from a balcony that ran around the dark wood-paneled and windowless walls which were covered in bright tapestry hangings. Harry saw the gold Gryffindor lion emblazoned on scarlet, the black badger of Hufflepuff set against yellow, and the bronze eagle of Ravenclaw on blue. The silver and green of Slytherin alone were absent. There were bulging bookcases, a few broomsticks propped against the walls, and in the corner, a large wooden-cased wireless. Where are we? Room of requirement, of course, said Neville. Surpassed itself, hasn't it? And it's interesting. I had never thought about it that way, but it is weirdly made in Dumbledore's image. So that makes me wonder, does Hogwarts's like, do the vibes change? Does it sort of adapt to its leadership? Oh, I don't know. Like, is Hogwarts itself more... Like, okay, if you think about 
cursed child. The, um, which we saw like two years ago now. The way that the, I mean, obviously the set itself changes drastically in the kind of darkest timeline parts to the point that you're, you're in, you sort of are inhabiting different vibes. And I wonder if like current Hogwarts's, I don't know, like mode of being shifts under different leadership. Like is, is Hogwarts now more like Snapey? Or did Dumbledore kind of come into his own as like a Hogwarts, as like an offshoot of the overall Hogwarts intelligence? Because Hogwarts and Dumbledore are kind of one in the same in an interesting way. Yeah, I guess I don't see it quite like that because more I was just thinking the way that Dumbledore can be like very intimidating and threatening, but also like fun and whimsical, but also like there's like a danger there. I guess more I just saw them as similar to each other and not influencing each other. So I'm in, I'm it's interesting that that's where you well, took that. Well, I mean the room of requirement, the ways in which Dumbledore's particular kind of whimsy shows up mm, physically yeah. sort of matches how the room of requirement interprets people's needs. Like I always think about the squashy purple armchairs and the squashy purple sleeping bags. Which is something that the room of requirement would conjure. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it gave everyone hammocks. It wasn't like, It wasn't like bunk, bunk beds. beds. Like, it's not a barracks. Right. Like, it didn't make a barracks. It made something that Dumbledore would have made. It made something strange and a little impractical, sort of both more and less comfortable for the purposes <laughs> than is, like, necessarily. So it does, the room of requirement specifically has sort of Dumbledore personality vibes in I'm, a way that I kind of wonder, you know, did the phoenix or the fire come first? Ah, uh, you stole what I was about to say. I mean, also, though, I am the Ravenclaw in this marriage. Also, though, this is Dumbledore's army. Right, so maybe it is responding to the fact that their aesthetic is Dumbledore's aesthetic because right. their value system is Dumbledore's value system. I mean, lots of, I think maybe, Hogwarts to me is more of like maybe a Borg where it's absorbed the influence of just, like, everyone who's ever walked to the halls. Because, I mean, Slytherin, like, Salazar Slytherin, like, left his mark on the castle in That's true. There's, like, ways. weird fucking snakes on all the drain pipes. You know? And there was, like, yeah, there's a literal chamber and of secrets. And there's the chamber of yeah. secrets. Uh, <laughs> You're right. It does absorb its inhabitants and it's in a really beautiful way it's literally chock full of ghosts that's true so in a lot of ways it has it has very literally absorbed the worst coffee of all time oh, God. chock full of ghosts it's also significant to me because hogwarts it has this intelligence and this presence that has to be respected and voldemort feels like like it can't be mastered and voldemort feels like he's mastered it because he found the room of requirement which whatever as we've said before dumbledore hundreds and hundreds dumbledore of literally like shits in. shits in and he thinks he's found this amazing hiding place and he knows everything but the room of requirement like literally made a new passage out of the school which completely fucks voldemort over in the end so he hasn't plumbed its secrets Nobody has. And Dumbledore sort of has the humility, the learned humility to like understand that. And Voldemort doesn't. Yeah, it feels very cliche to say that hubris is Voldemort's ultimate fatal flaw because that's like the fatal flaw. Like when you learn about like, you know, Greek, whatever, like parts of the story, hubris is like the thing. But it really is because... 
Voldemort can't imagine that other people are capable of this sort of like intellectual and magical prowess that he is. So he just fucking loses the threat. Like it's wild that he's like, huh, maybe someone else has also badly needed to hide something (laughs) at a deeply inopportune moment in this castle. But the thing that's interesting about Voldemort is he's never thinking about how anyone else might be existing. Right, right. Like he's so narcissistic and so disinterested in other human life that it doesn't occur to him like maybe someone desperately needs to hide like a bong (laughs) yeah or whatever the wizard equivalent of like these are teenagers they need to hide shit all the time (laughs) at least one hogwarts student has like masturbated in the room of requirement Uh, we're watching big mouth right now way low end of that spectrum i mean they say well people have fucked in there for sure yeah it's uh it's mostly yeah it's uh 20% 20% magical doohickeys, 5% artifacts, uh, majority is just jizz and porn and drugs. Yeah, exactly. No, porn and drugs and places to partake in porn and drugs. Is... <laughs> so actually that helps us get um, to the next thing I want to talk about really nicely, which is like a fun thing about this chapter. First of all, it sort of mirrors the experience of kind of late quarantines, hopefully late, Jesus Christ, quarantines right now, where there's this <laughs> there's this profound joy in just, like, seeing other people. You know, bless the Golden Trio, but I'm sick of them. I'm kind of psychologically tired of these three. Yeah, we've been quarantining with the trio for a long time. So when we enter this room and here are our faves, it's actually really relaxing, even though it's obviously a very high-stress situation. Like, having lines of dialogue from Neville Longbottom, I was like, oh, what up, Neville? It turns out I missed you. And I will say that is a testament to J.K. Rowling because... She has created characters who feel like old friends. There is a real relief to sort of re-entering the presence of these characters. But also, they're still teenagers in this very sweet and funny way. Like, you know, the shit is fully going down for all of the Hogwarts students. And still, there's this love triangle moment where Cho Chang offers to take Harry to Ravenclaw, like, Presumably to get him alone to, like, snog. To be like, hey, this could be our last night on Earth, Harry. And Ginny is like, oh, no. You're going to go with Luna, who is non-threatening. First of all, Luna should be threatening because Luna seems magnificent. But whatever, Ginny is probably responding accurately to Harry's, the direction in which Harry's boner is pointed. Respect to Cho in this moment for working that angle. I know. She, like, does her best. And the other thing I want to say is that, like, Dean and Seamus are in love, right? Of all the kind of... Of all the ships that don't come true, that one seems the most clear. Like, it describes Seamus's whole face as lighting up when Dean walks into the room. To me, that's more than, like, dude friendship. I think they're in love. The hour when the ship comes in. So, I don't know. That's just, I mean, I don't I don't have real strong ships in the series, period. Besides Lupin and Sirius, I think most of my ships are Canonical M4M. Ships? Mm-hmm. 
No, I don't. Most of the canonical ships, I'm like, okay, I could take or leave it. Mostly <laughs> leave. Actually, I do find Harry and Ginny to be well-matched. And Harry's really tender reaction to seeing Ginny again after so long, I found it moving. It's a very sweet moment. The fact that he can still experience kind of like butterflies even with everything going on. It, you know, it's it's the real deal. It's fucking dumb that they get married. Like, meet another girl, bud. But whatever, I guess it's true love or, yeah, you know. That kind of thing. Another thing I really like here, there's this very nicely written little kind of internal monologue that Harry has. I think Ron's right. We don't even know what we're looking for. We need them. And when Harry looked unconvinced, you don't have to do everything alone, Harry. Harry thought fast, his scar still prickling, his head threatening to split again. Dumbledore had warned him against telling anyone but Ron and Hermione about the Horcruxes. Secrets and lies, that's how we grew up. And Albus, he was a natural. Was he turning into Dumbledore, keeping his secrets clutched to his chest, afraid to trust? But Dumbledore had trusted Snape. And where had that led? To murder at the top of the highest tower. All right, he said quietly to the other two. Okay, he called to the room at large. And all noise ceased. It's just always fun when your main character is capable of real personal growth. And that's a thing that happens very beautifully in Harry Potter. Like Harry grows so much as a person, which we've talked about over and over. But his sort of initial resistance to sharing anything about the mission that they're on. And then going back to that conversation with Aberforth and saying, you know, Dumbledore harmed me by being a secretive and as untrusting as he was like is there a way that I can do some kind of like reparative work with my own friends and actually bring people into my work with me yeah I think it's really beautiful and I think he actually makes a pretty wise decision he doesn't also he doesn't have a fucking time to explain horcruxes <laughs> yeah. but to say have to pull down like the, the like string yeah. chart or whatever exactly. and be like okay so your soul, it's a thing. Yeah. Let's start with that. And people are like, mind blown. Plato defined the soul as... So, uh, but the other thing that I think Harry does nicely that Dumbledore never did is sort of acknowledge that, like, collective knowledge and intelligence is always going to supersede, like, one singular genius. So Harry's like, I know a fair amount, but the people around me know more. And Dumbledore never does that. Dumbledore is probably the smartest character in the series but he also just refuses to rely on the possibility that other people might know things he doesn't in in which way he has a fair amount in common with Voldemort honestly mm. both of them are like lone wolves to their vast detriment and Harry is kind of not a lone wolf like we also have to remember that Harry has way more meaningful relationships in his life anyway than Dumbledore yeah. every day well, there's like a push and pull in Harry between wanting to be a lone wolf and not. Right, and but he's established strong enough relationships that people pull him back from the lone wolf edge because he he has let himself love and trust enough that he has people in his life to be like, give me a fucking break. You literally know nothing about Ravenclaw. <laughs> like, just let us help. But he lets them help. The fact that he lets Luna in specific help to me is really moving because... I love, I love Luna. I think this is also in a way a callback 
maybe not a callback, but there's some like, it's sort of a slant rhyme to Neville standing up to the trio in book one. Yeah. Where he says like, I'm not going to let you do this. Uh, And now he says, I'm not going to let you do this alone. Right. Dumbledore left the three of us a job, he said carefully. And we weren't supposed to tell. I mean, he wanted us to do it. Just the three of us. We're his army, said Neville. Dumbledore's army. We were all in it together. We've been keeping it going while you three have been off on your own. It hasn't exactly been a picnic, mate, said Ron. I never said it had. But I don't see why you can't trust us. Everyone in this room's been fighting. And they've been driven in here because the Carrows were hunting them down. Everyone in here's proven they're loyal to Dumbledore, loyal to you. So that's uh that's lovely. Uh so yeah, I like that. And I like in general, I like this Neville character arc. I think the first time I read it when I was I don't know, maybe not more cynical, but just a different person. I sort of saw this as like throwing a bone to like a fan fave. But I appreciate Neville coming into his own here. Uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I think it plays with the prophecy in interesting ways. Of Because remember, the prophecy says the one born in whatever. When was Harry's birthday? July. July. Yeah. Uh, Independence Day. No, yeah. but it's like, it's like early July, I think. July 31st, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Wow, uh, we definitely have a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> Whatever. Trivia is not as important as You know, so like analysis. it's like it could have been the chosen one could have been either Harry or Neville because the Dark Lord will like mark him as his own or whatever. So in this, in a way, like both of those ki- boys, though, who grow take Voldemort down. So you're kind of thinking back then you like when you first learn about the prophecy, you're like, oh, man, it's a good thing he picked like badass Harry Potter and not fucking Neville Longbottom, but Neville had that in him also all along. So the Dark Mo- the Dark Lord like didn't mark Neville as his equal, and Neville still like wrecks him. To me, what that tells us is that I think we sort of already know this, but I think Dumbledore drastically over-indexes on the prophecy, period. What we learn here is that Anyone who takes responsibility for doing the right thing can make a difference. And I don't think that Harry and Neville are actually, I mean, I don't know, hot take, but I don't think the chosen one is a thing. Mm. Like, I think we learn from Neville's actions here that it actually, I mean, it's sort of about like free will versus predestination. And I think I'm falling on the side of free will in terms of taking down Voldemort. I think all it takes is people deciding to work together on the side of good to win. I don't think that it matters that Neville also might be the chosen one. I think Neville is just a good guy who does some like extremely brave and hard shit for reasons that are resonant and true and he wins. Neville also one of the most moral characters in Harry Potter because he explains very clearly that he recognizes that he has a protected status and he uses that. Yes, he's a fucking, he's not an advantage. ally, he's, he's an like, accomplice. He's an accomplice. He's a pure-blood accomplice. He's a class traitor. A hundred percent. Bless our class traitors. Yeah, no. Like and there the, could be a place, there could be a place in the new regime for Neville. And he knows he that. It. To be fair, the Weasleys are also a really good right. example of that. Like you said, Neville also 
remains a remarkable foil to Harry Potter. Like it's fun to have this like twin, like this like prophecy boys like kind of twinning because Neville actually checks a lot of Harry's worst impulses and and kind of fills in Harry's gaps. Neville is like a a very communal person, you know? And Neville trusts the skills of a really diverse and like ragtag group. So Neville draws on Harry's particular strengths, but he also has his own strengths and I think his strengths are Harry's not really a community builder. I mean, Neville build really Dumbledore's is. army. I know, but like, but like, sort of with a lot of but help. With and mostly really uncomfortably. Right. Like he, he felt is very not. Dra- he felt like very drafted into it. He did, and he didn't like. You know, we find that he's a fairly good instructor, but like Harry's not a community organizer. Like Neville is an organizer. You know. Yeah. Neville's a grassroots guy. I think Neville's probably the hero of this series. And he loves grassroots. Yeah, he loves the roots and the tips of the grass. (laughs) He loves grass. Um, Not pot, just literal plants. (laughs) The thing that's so interesting here that I was thinking about as they all show their kind of like disbelief and dismay that Harry isn't there to liberate Hogwarts, a really fucked up thing about wartime or just like times of extreme chaos this feeling of everything's happening all at once and you can't really pay attention to enough to really make a difference as an individual which is very demoralizing so harry is on this like very specific harry potter quest it's the quest we're on as readers you know because these books are called harry potter and the but meanwhile there's like this Hogwarts resistance that is its own sort of like main story arc. Right. So Harry shows up and he's like, I'm on this really, really arcane, specific like side quest. And they're like, okay, but like, you gotta liberate us, bro. (laughs) And I mean, honestly, like jury's out on who has suffered more. Yeah. In this whole thing. Like Neville is like gashed to bits. Neville's getting tortured on the reg. And Harry, I think, has actually sustained, like, less, like, bodily damage. Um, Even then sort of Dean and Luna and all these other people that are on the lam. It's like, Harry hasn't gone through a ton more than, I mean, he has kind of psychologically. But, so I understand Neville being like, I'm sorry, you're here to find, like, a tiara and bounce? (laughs) Like, friendo. But, I mean, also, LOL, it does become a revolution shortly. It does. Just, I mean, because Harry has no choice. Like, he fully intends to take the crown and bounce. <laughs> uh, and his his choices just become for, foreclosed on. So, speaking of the revolution, here's a disorienting fact that I had forgotten until we got to, like, one line in this chapter. So, we're under the thumb of, like, headmaster secret good guy quote-unquote severus snape and like the caro twins are they twins or just siblings i don't know they're it's brother and sister I, they, they, it's creepier if they're twins and my brain they're twins and the other teachers just like chill they still work there like yeah, mcgonagall the is like well they may or may not have actually murdered neville longbottom but i guess i just teach transfiguration like, yeah, I guess I'm there's, really... like, underground <laughs> cells of teachers, but it's wild to me that Flitwick is, like, 
Wingardium Leviosa, but all of you have had the Cruciatus curse performed on you. Like, I should help, but I'm not. I, I don't mean, know. it seems like they're kind of trying to do what they can within the system. They're like, are they though? They're like the That's Hogwarts. That's giving them a lot of credit. They're like the Hogwarts deep state or whatever, but also but the deep state didn't really protect us from any from of this any, shit. Yeah. <laughs> we kept getting these op-eds of Professor McGonagall being like, some of us <laughs> yeah, resist yeah. from within. I am the resistance within the Snape administration. Uh, false. So I feel like we've been teasing this for four years. But this is where we can at least start to enter into the meat of the debate about Severus Snape. Because he's about to get fully redeemed. Albus Severus is about to happen, which like, ugh, kill me. But he's like letting kids get tortured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Not a lot of great ways to spin that. Kind of reminds me in a way of the this book, The Sympathizer, which is about a North Vietnamese spy who basically goes underground with the capitalists, uh, who basically goes undercover with, like, the, the, the U.S. forces, like, special forces, and then goes to the United States to kind of, like, to keep tabs on, like, anti-communist refugees uh, on behalf of the... On, on behalf of the communists. And because he's a double agent, he does all these heinous things to preserve his cover to the point where it's like, wait, aren't you just actually sort of on the American side? Like, you've killed so many of your own people. Yeah, he commits, like, a bunch of murders. Just to, like, I mean, sorry, spoilers for The Sympathizer, uh, which is a great book. one real, the, the, he, he kills one guy. Yeah, that just is like, it's really fucked up. He actually kills a couple people. Yeah. Anyway, he does all this heinous shit to, like, preserve his cover to the point where it's, like... And then he, like, kind of ends up helping reinvade Vietnam in this, like, totally botched special forces, like, mission where it's, like, wait, at some point, like, you're just on the other side. Does and, I mean, there's like, meta- there's, like, meta- there's, like, metaphorical stuff, like, embedded in that about, like... Right. Doesn't he also help make, um... Heart of Darkness? No, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, at some point he helps make like, Apocalypse Now. He's like a consultant on the set of Apocalypse Now. Anyway, uh, Alex liked that book more than I did. But so here's what that what I take away from that. The reason that book works is because it there is like fully space given to the fact that this main character is like an anti-hero. Is somebody making unconscionable choices that he believes are for the greater good, and you as a reader are sort of allowed to, like, feel like that's questionable. What frustrates me about Snape is I feel like his redemption is kind of shoved down our throats. And I just, I actually think his, like, full unmitigated redemption is, like, totally unearned. It's like like when Darth Vader throws the Emperor down a pit, and it's like, oh, I guess he gets to, like, go to heaven now. And you're like, yeah, but he, like, murdered 20 billion people. (laughs) Also, like, space heaven. Yeah, so this is, it's just another one of these moments where if you stop to think for a minute about what Severus Snape is sort of allowing to happen under his watch, quote-unquote, like, for the greater good, I mean, in some ways, you sort of get the logical extension of Dumbledore's ideology, which is just that 
almost everyone is expendable. Yeah, you got to torture a few kids if you want to make an omelet. And Dumbledore is interesting because he's sort of squeamish about carrying that out. So he lets Snape, I mean, maybe I'm changing my mind like on air, but in some ways what Dumbledore does is just like let Snape be the fall guy for the fact that Dumbledore is fully willing to let kids get tortured for the greater good. Right. But Snape, ah. Snape is just like, icky i mean i guess we don't so he just like does the torturing i guess we don't well he's not doing the torturing it's the caros i know but, but also he also like, has tortured people like couldn't he like put in somebody that wouldn't do that i don't know i, I don't guess, know if there, if there are any death eaters that don't want to torture kids which again is unrealistic i don't actually know if that's unrealistic i was thinking that i used to think that i was like oh man a first grader in like chains like what the fuck but like i don't know that literally happens that's true. And also, Here. I feel like I, re- I saw a poll recently. It was like a poll in Britain. And it was some like, it wasn't like a majority, but it was like asking like Brexit voters or something like that what their like policy priorities were. And like a not insubstantial amount of them were bring back corporal punishment in schools <laughs> was like the thing they would they wanted well, to see. That's a so weird I mean, nostalgia for a... I think it's less about people wanting to literally hit kids and more a nostalgia for a way in which, like, how, how do I want to put this? Hierarchy. Order. Well, no. Oh, it's, like, more a nostalgia for a time when, like, obedience was something that we could just expect from children. Because now, I think, for a certain subset of parents it's much more important and I think that sort of child psychology would tell us that this is correct to sort of like let kids learn and you know not punish them for making decisions that we don't necessarily agree with but that don't harm anyone. Also like natural consequences are a great gift to child rearing but people are Nostalgic for, like, children should be seen and not heard days. So I think that's less about people wanting to physically, like, hit kids. Some people want to hit kids. But some people want to return to obedience as sort of, like, the highest moral kind of, like, value in children. Mm. Well, anyway, I could just totally... I used But to that's think, I different used... than wanting to yourself, like, commit real violence against children. Right. A lot of people want to do that sort of in the abstract. I think relatively few people want to themselves physically hit kids. But you know what? That might be me being incredibly over-optimistic and naive. I don't... I have literally never wanted to hurt... I mean, you know... I mean, we put cops in school that, like... Oh, there he is. Hey, bud. Hey, bud. Couldn't see what happens. Yeah, I mean, so now we're recording with... uh... With the puppy, so... With the puppy on our lap, so he might bump things. Who knows? We're trying to get him to chew something. He's teething. He's teething. It's a lot. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we... Cops in, like, schools have, like, cuffed, like, little kids. Yeah, that's true. No, so, people, like, pre-K and kindergartners get suspended and expelled in, like, truly shocking numbers. So you're right. I think you're... A, a lot of people want to discipline very, very young children pretty harshly. So fair enough. Um, people are definitely going to hear George's, like, sniffles and snuffles. But (laughs) you know what? That's just where we are. So, but in terms of, like, what Snape is doing, 
I like maybe this could I guess the pro Snape argument would be like, oh, he's probably stopping it from being like worse, which is probably true. I think when Neville says, oh, Snape hated it when we did this and that, like, I think part of Snape's anger was I'm trying to protect you motherfuckers. But now in order to maintain my plausible, like the my plausibility as a Death Eater, I have to like, you know, let the Caros do some uh, light torture. Yeah, but I mean, whatever. I just don't buy any of it is the thing. Um... I don't know how long this is going to go well with the pup. Puppy, Let's you want to chew this? Georgie, chew your toy. Chew. Oh, my God. Look at your stupid little <gasps> yes. face. I love it so much. Ah, oh, he yawned. Yawn. You guys, I <laughs> wish you could all see this little munchkin. Let's talk really quickly about Ravenclaw. Um, because, okay, this is going to be such a disaster. I think people... Nope, nope, we're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. <gasps> Ooh, have a lap yes. chew, lovey. Yes, have a lap, lap chew. Lap chew. Lap chew. Oh, munchkin. Okay, you got to just hold it because otherwise he's going to drop it on yep. the floor. Good boy. <gasps> yeah, Good chew boy. it. Good boy. He loves doing something called lap chews. Which is exactly what it sounds where like. Where he sits on our lap, lap and chews and something. Chews a toy. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to let him chew on my pinky finger for a minute. Um, We just, like, never talk about Ravenclaw as, like, existing. Um, They're, like, I think our most forgotten house because we have some interesting encounters with some Hufflepuffs. Also, every Hufflepuff dies in this last book, so that's, like, (laughs) fucking, that's bleak as hell. Hufflepuff body count. But, like, to me, Ravenclaw, like, super seems like the best house. They definitely have, like, the prettiest space. Like, Harry describes the kind of sweeping views and this, like, midnight blue carpet and this, like, beautiful sort of airy ethereal tower and i'm like if you're not in ravenclaw like are you a chump like this rules and the hottest founder um yeah also like rowena rowena ravenclaw is like sexy which is interesting um but this diadem is pretty shoehorned in at the very last (laughs) minute right i feel like we've almost had like horcrux out out george don't bite my finger we've almost had a horcrux procrastination where so many Horcruxes still left to destroy in the last hundred pages. Yeah. Uh, more than we even know because Harry is a secret one. Also, um, also, they haven't figured out Nagini yet. Or even the diadem. They don't I mean, know they, that's a Horcrux yet. But like, they, they have a good hunch. I like that he just pulls them. It's like, so... Uh, Anything special <laughs> that Ravenclaw had? But um, And of course Luna is the one that knows because everybody thinks Luna is like a lunatic but in reality she's smarter than hermione maybe do we think wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure interesting question uh what do we mean by wit i think we mean intelligence right see when i was like i don't think we mean like humor like jokes because that would be i mean maybe that is man's greatest treasure i don't know laughter is important yeah No, I think that it means, like, having your wits about you type wit. Mm, Like, intelligence and savvy. Which, I mean, yeah, I don't think... I can't think of anything that's, like... Well, I don't know. Empathy beyond measure. Like, ooh, I'm an empath. Doesn't sound as good. Um, No. I... Yeah, I don't know. I buy it. I buy it more than I buy any of the other houses. Like, being a nice person who's helpful beyond measure. Maybe that is man's greatest treasure. None of the other houses have slogans. Um, Do they? I don't I think don't know. so. You know, okay. Slytherin slogan is just fuck off. We're Slytherin. Thing, so we're returning to like, I think a theme from like literal episode one of the Quibbler 
Where it's like, why are Slytherins allowed at this school? There's no Slytherins in the room of requirement, like, army camp. Yeah. I just don't actually find that plausible. Yeah, I mean, no group of people in lockstep believes one thing. You'd think there'd be, like, a weird... You'd think there'd be, like, a Lincoln project of Slytherins or something. Like Like, a Never Voldemort Yeah, there's got to be at least some Never... Yeah, Never Voldemort Slytherins, like... I guess Snape is like our token anti-Voldemort Slytherin and Slughorn, but students, there would at least be a few students who, even if it were from very Slytherin, like a very Slytherin angle of, I actually don't think Voldemort's going to like make right. it. Like, you know? like, I, I see believe more of an that angle. there's probably upside yeah. to like the post-Voldemort. Like, yeah, like I'm yeah. going to take a bet on this and like if it turns out that the Malfoys sort of do that at the very beginning, but... I have said it before, I'll say it again, one of the things we're missing most is the frenemy Slytherin. Well, and what I think more the than anything... The fucking Lando Calrissian of Slytherins. It's just not fair to these Slytherin traits to assume that they always add up to, like, evil. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of things about Slytherins that, like, are pretty great. There are things that are really fun about Slytherins. I mean, we called Beyonce a Slytherin, and I, like, fully stand by that. The the cunning and savvy and kind of, like, a little bit of, I don't know, self-centeredness, like, didn't it doesn't really hurt. So I think it's really unkind to assume that people who have these particular character traits are, you know, bad guys. There are lots of reasons you would really want to be. I mean, everybody wants a Slytherin friend. You know, to, like, get shit done. Yeah. Your Slytherin friend, like, knows the bouncer. (laughs) You know? Like, you get into clubs because your friend is a Slytherin. (laughs) Uh, Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is two-time, two episodes running, Aberforth Dumbledore. Dude, this guy out here, he's like, oh, I don't know about this. The resistance is over. Like, fuck off. Like, don't bother me, Harry Potter. Meanwhile, he's, like, supplying Dumbledore's army. He's, like, the quartermaster to Dumbledore's army, just supplying them with cheese and hunks of bread. And, like, meat or some (laughs) shit. (laughs) Full on. Um, Mine is Neville's Gran. I just love an old lady who kicks ass. And I love how Neville describes it. He's like, yeah, they, like, didn't send their, like, brightest bulb. Because they were like, I don't know, old lady living alone. Like, what's the worst that can happen? And it's like, Dollish goes to hospital. Because (laughs) Gran, like, wrecks his shit fully. And then, like, goes on the lamb as, like, an old lady. Like, we're given to understand that Gran is, like, 90. And she's, like, fully in the underground. So I just, yeah. No, I love an old lady that's, like, still in the movement. Fuck yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Ravenclaw Tower. It's lit beyond measure. When you're here, you've answered a riddle. If you're here, you've answered a riddle. I don't remember what the slogan is. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's inestimable performance of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. The small squeaks and barks that you heard are courtesy of George Seltzer Dallenberg Pricewright, who is chewing a Kong in my lap as we speak. He is an angel from heaven. Um, you know, do what you do with podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Mostly subscribe. These come out about as often as Potter Watch. Um... But, you know, rate and review if you feel like it. Ow! George! Holy shit! Don't bite me. He meant that to be for the toy, I think. 
you can, one of the things you can do that some of you have been taking and taking advantage of recently that we love is uh, send us an e-owl, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your own quibbles are, what your quibbles with our quibbles are. Uh, we're into it and we love to hear from you. Um, follow us on social media, again, if that's what you feel like doing. Otherwise, listen to the podcast, enjoy it, and uh, live your life. We hope you are all pretty safe and pretty healthy and uh, as the least depressed and anxious possible. Let's put it that way. Next time we will be reading the chapter called The Sacking of Severus Snape. We will talk to you then. I wonder what's going to happen in that chapter. Uh, Betty doesn't get sacked. (laughs) Thanks, amigos. Say bye, Georgie. Say bye. Say bye. So what's the plan, Harry? said George. There isn't one, said Harry, still disoriented by the sudden appearance of all these people, unable to take everything in while his scar was still burning so fiercely. Just going to make it up as we go along, are we? My favorite kind, said Fred. At once the beak of the eagle opened, but instead of a bird's call, a soft musical voice said, Answer, Daily Double, and it's a video. All right, take a look. Which came first, the phoenix or the flame? Hmm, what do you think, Harry? Said Luna, looking thoughtful. What? Isn't there just a password? Oh, no. You've got to answer a question, said Luna. What if you get it wrong? Well, you have to wait for somebody who gets it right, said Luna. That way you learn, you see? Yeah, trouble is, we can't really afford to wait for anyone else, Luna. No, I see what you mean, said Luna seriously. Well then, I think the answer is that a circle has no beginning. Good for you, you're right, said the voice, and the door swung open. You've got to stop this, Harry told Neville. What did you call them all back for? This is insane. Madness, said Neville. This is Sparta! (laughs) 